This is RDQI. Yeah! 2021! Happy New Year, everyone. Today, Ryan and I talk about our own personal New Year's resolutions, both past and present. We get a little bit personal, so this one will be really interesting to those who know us, which would be all of you, let's be honest. Have a great uh, start to the New Year's, guys, and hope you enjoyed the episode. Bill Swirsky's Auto is located in Aurora, Illinois. We got all sorts of cars, automobiles, things that move. Take you to work. Come on down to Bill Swirsky's Automobiles now. Hey, right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dave. Did you make any New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, I've got a boring answer for you because the answer is no. No, I made no New Year's resolutions. And I never really have been much of a resolution maker. Um, All right. Well, see you next time. Yep. Have a good night, Dave. How about you, though? Really quick before we actually, like, you know, leave. <laughs> did you make any any New Year's resolutions? I did, and I do every year. Um, and, the, and honestly, the reason why I do it, uh, hopefully some of my college buddies are, are listening to this, but senior year of college, um, I had just come off of a like a pretty big self-improvement, um, like a, doing a lot of self-improvement during that summer and into the fall and just doing a bunch of things for myself. And I felt really good about it. And so we were talking about New Year's resolutions, and I just made this comment that like, no, nah, I think I'm good. I don't really need to make any. <laughs> and there was a reason behind it, but they all latched on to this fact that like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Dave. I'm just so good. I don't, I don't have to make New Year's resolutions. So I've I've made it a point to make them ever since. So what kind of a what kind of resolutions do you like to make? Or do you hold yourself to them? Do you keep track? What what's your process like? I don't have a process. I tend to I tend to look back on the previous year and think about the things. It's I, I'm honestly, it's typically things that I want to change or goals that I had the year before that I didn't quite make the progress towards that I wanted to and thinking about, okay, well, what can I do to do a better job of making progress towards that goal this year? I don't really have a way to, to track it. Um, but I'm just one of those self-improvement heads that just think about it a lot. So there's a, I kind of have a built-in tracking mechanism, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Sure. No, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, because that's, that's one thing I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, you threw out this idea to me and I was thinking, okay, I'm in trouble because I don't really make New Year's resolutions. Not out of like principle. I'm not saying they're dumb, they're silly. It just doesn't usually quite happen. Like I don't make a list and say, these are the things I'm going to do better this year. But mm -hmm. so I, I was curious, like, okay, what is the research? Like, has anyone researched this? Is there any indication of how good people are at keeping resolutions. The answer in general is people aren't very good at keeping their resolutions. But one thing I noticed in their research that I found, and again, this is a small study, it's like University of New York in Rochester, 200 person study. So take it with a big grain of salt here. But what they did find is people who set goals, like hard goals, not like, hey, I want to lose weight this year, be like, no, I want to lose 20 pounds by the end of the year, right? Very different goals. They found that people who actually wrote down concrete 
doable goals actually showed a higher um, case of sticking with it, basically, as opposed to people just being like, eh, I'm going to lose weight. They might put it in for a week, maybe a month even of exercise and diet to get there and then kind of fall off the bandwagon. So that's why I was curious about process. Well, you ever heard of uh, SMART goals? It's uh, this acronym that stands for, oh boy, I think I can remember this, Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Timely. One of those might be wrong, but it sounds right. Uh, It feels good to me. Uh, But it's this is the idea of, you know, if you say, like, take the weight example, I'm going to lose 100 pounds in 2021. Well, that might really not work for you. But if you if you benchmark throughout the year saying like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, um, you know, lose whatever, seven pounds of a month or something like that. You know, obviously nobody's going to lose a hundred pounds in a, a year. That's well, maybe, um, severely but, unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that people, I, I think the reason that these goals fail a lot of the times is people don't really understand how to set goals. Mm. I also think that different types of goals work for different types of people. I know you, both you and I took this, this specific aptitude test at different points in our lives. Um, but one of those insights that came out of it for me is that I work really well with these lofty goals that are out in the future. Because if I have this and I just have it in my mind every day, I will sort of naturally take the small steps necessary to get there. Whereas a lot of people, they just won't make any progress towards it because they don't even know where to start. So they need these little, um, you know, uh, what do you call them? Benchmarks or or waypoints, save points, if you will, along the way where they can say, okay, cool, I'm making this slow, systematic, you know, progress towards this goal. God, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, because, right, it's that old adage, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, right? It, you can't, it's not about seeing the end goal and being like, I'm just going to get there by tomorrow, because especially if you're making a big goal in life, some real resolute change in your life it's not going to happen overnight so you have to do it day by day step by step so do you have any like how do you keep up with it on that route i mean i know you're it sounds like you're mentally checking in and just keeping aware with it but do you have a system at all for tracking what's going on honestly and i i i know this from just talking with other people i have i have a very unique way of, um, not unique. I mean, I think there are people like me, but I don't think it's the norm. Um, so I, I, I really benefit from having this overarching goal or almost like, almost, um, like, like something greater than myself that I'm working towards. And so when I make decisions on a day-to-day basis, because I have this thing that I want to do or to be or to whatever, I will make decisions inherently with that goal in mind. And when I make decisions antithetical towards that goal, I still do that, right? But I know, (laughs) I know that I'm going against it. And there's this dissonance in me that says, you're doing something wrong. Like, make sure you do the right things to keep yourself on track. Um, 
But I don't think that works for everybody. I think we have a very people, myself included, in other ways. But I think there's an easy way to delude yourself. Oh yeah, uh, it's so so easy to fool yourself into anything. You know, you're you're the world's best lawyer in the courtroom of your mind. You sure. will win every case. Right, which is why you know attaching very specific goals to any objective. Uh, like an, an adage in racing, like, you know, my old days in swimming, the stop clock doesn't lie, right? It, you know, you can't, I, I didn't swim my event as, you know, a 16 year old or whatever and get out of the pool and be like, yeah, I totally won that race. And then walk over to my coach and the coach is like, yeah, but you're two seconds slower than you did it last week. You know, like the coach doesn't care necessarily about that individual moment, right? It's about the progress, the gains that are coming through training, right? Now, obviously, if it's like a championship event, yeah, if you win, fine, great, whatever. But usually, that's not the case. So, that's interesting because making goals is always really, really tricky to do. Like a good goal, you know? I mean, I've been a part of countless business meetings um, where goals were set. And I left the room thinking, this is the worst goal ever. There's no way to attain it. There's no way to quantify if we have attained it. And it really just feels like some feel-good fluff, right? Like, you know, there's got to be some real intent packed into a goal to make it stick, you know, to know if you are achieving or not. So I kind of like that your method works for you. You know, it sounds pretty, like, just a part of who you are as a person. But obviously, that won't work for everyone. Well, right. And it's... It's really a lot of self knowledge. You know, I, I I listen to a number of different podcasts, and it's really funny. Around this time, they they almost all have some variation on. We don't do New Year's resolutions because they don't work. Here's what we do. Um, there's, <laughs> sure. There's uh, Tim Ferriss and fear setting, which we won't get into, but go look that up. It's it's really really interesting. Um, you know, there is year in review. So instead of looking at what you want to do next year, it's looking at what went well for you last year and trying to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really just, it's, it's all about what's, what's best for you. If you set goals and you constantly, you know, if you set a new year's resolution every year and you never follow through, well, there could be a number of reasons for that. Maybe you just don't really want that goal. Maybe you don't have the motivation. Maybe you don't understand the processes you're going to use to get there. Right. You know, if you say, and that's why the, the whole metric thing that, KPIs, I guess, for <laughs> measuring a New Year's resolution. Those key performance indexes. Woo-wee. Um, indicators. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> um, you can tell that I was on the sales side of business. Yeah. It may, <laughs> hey, maybe it has different different explanations, but or different uh, meanings. Um, so those metrics, like they they they're necessary to measure progress towards something, but they're also not really always very indicative. I think there's Mm -hmm. an inherent problem with any metric you can possibly think of and think of losing weight as an example. You know, weight is a very specific measurement. If your goal is to, um, like look better and look thinner, well, weight doesn't really measure that because if you're building muscle at the same time, which has a higher weight or higher density than fat Mm -hmm. and thus a higher weight, um, you can actually gain weight, but look better. So what's your actual goal? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's implementing the lifestyle choices that are going to get you towards that goal. And and yes, seeing the weight go down will kind of help motivate you, but what you're really 
looking for is to change how you live your day-to-day life. And if you don't have that mentality, you're never going to achieve a goal. Right. And and that always brings up something interesting to me is in this example you're bringing up, you know, it, I want to look slimmer. Let's say that's my goal, right? It's not a, mm. in my opinion, that's not a very good goal because it's incredibly ambiguous, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's a hundred percent subjective first off, right? right. Um, but still, okay, let's say that that's the goal. How do you, okay. And you go about with a healthy, um, healthy diet, a change to diet that is an improvement in different ways. And you start to work out in a different way. And it's totally, like you said, totally possible to actually gain weight while even, even though you look slimmer because if you're just like reorganizing the matter in your body into muscle, which tends to accentuate your figure, you know, do you think it's common or do you see this in your life where your goal actually changes halfway through the process? Cause you realize, Oh, I want to look slimmer. That's my goal. And then you start to realize like, actually I'm starting to feel really fit. Now I want to see if I can run a mile in under eight minutes. Like, does that happen to you where you kind of change goal halfway through the process? <laughs> um, Yes. Um, so in my, in my senior year of college example, I had started that year with the goal to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started eating well and biking a lot. And by the end of that year, I don't, I mean, I had achieved by probably the fall, I had achieved that goal, but my goal it really shifted because, you know, the, the funny thing about exercise is that when you get in a consistent habit of doing it, you tend to start really liking it and your body mm-hmm. almost gets addicted to it. Like if oh, yeah. you don't exercise, you know, and you're, you get very restless and you have to, you know, go do exercise. Um, How German so of you. Of, <laughs> go do exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Mach sport. Um, <laughs> it, my goal really became okay. Well, you know how how far can I go? How far can I bike on a on a Saturday? You know, Saturday would be my long ride. You know, can I go forty? Can I go fifty miles? Um, and yeah, it really it really did shift. Um, and and that's why I I tend to set or work better with loftier goals. Um, be, you know, more more. It's hard to describe, um, but but more kind of conceptual. Like this is this is the place that I want to be in a year, and so you start doing things towards that goal. But you, like you said, you can be agile enough to to change and to to change course midway through. And if you have very specific goals, or like you have to be boxed in, it's hard to to make those changes. Um, which I think you need to because you don't really know what you want a lot of the times. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that totally depends on your perspective, right? Which is something we harp upon all the time on RDQI, is your perspective will dictate a lot about what we're actually trying to mess with here. Because, like, okay, let's put it this way. Uh, sales professional, we have a goal in my company, let's say this is all hypothetical, to grow our revenue by 10% from last year and increase our profitability um, by 12.5%, right? That's a very attainable number in the sense of like, it's pretty concrete. Like I know I did a million last year. I need to do 1,100,000 next year. Also my profitability has to go up, right? So it's, it's easy to 
lock it in on there. But what I think is interesting is, okay, that goal has been given to me by my sales manager. Now that manager has been given a goal by their manager probably as well. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's a clear defined goal that's easy to attain in the sense that we know when we've crossed the finish line, right? You know, it's not ambiguous. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, depending on corporate processes, it can be ambiguous, Mm -hmm. but anyways, um, it's attainable and there's a purpose to it. I mean, usually in business, it's like, yes, we need growth because we have new investments that we want to put into our infrastructure, whatever business goal there is. So even though as a sales individual, like you are not the summation of the company, your goal of a certain revenue and profitability mark dictates how well the rest of the organization can actually behave, right? That makes total sense to me. And you, there's no reason to deviate from that goal because it's probably well planned out and party probably part of a five or 10 year plan, basically, of like, we need to hit these benchmarks to be able to offer these services and make these investments to then carry on being a profitable business that people want to invest in. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly defined. But what if you're talking about, because we've talked about that, like, how do you, how do you um, value something that may not have value, like the Doppler effect? Doppler effect had no value at, at first. It was just academic wisdom of like, oh, we know that stars revolve around each other and they have this effect that we can observe and now we know it. La-di-da. Mm-hmm. But because of that discovery centuries later, we can make advances in medical technology through this discovery that changed lives, millions of lives, right? So the valuation process can be tricky too about how valuable a goal actually is. So it, it, it gets into this weird parameter of like, you know, if you want to have a very specific goal, that's great. And as long as your reasoning for that specific goal makes sense, it'll make sense to follow through on the goal, right? It's not whimsy. It's not, it's not a glib thing to increase revenue for a company by 10%. That is significant impact on the company. But if my sales manager came to me and said, hey, we want you to do more sales than last year and be more profitable, that is so ambiguous. It's like, okay, so I did a million last year. Do you mean I need to do a million and one? Are you really going to be happy with me if I perform that way? <laughs> right? And so, and that's yep. a type of goal that's inflexible in the sense of like, there's no need to, there's no creative search. It's not a journey here where like you get to the end of it and realize we've been doing it wrong this whole time. No, it's just a, it's a business function. Whereas if you're talking about like a life goal of like, I want to lose weight that could be tied into so many different things about who you are as a person. Well, I think people set, people don't think about why they're setting the goals that they're setting. And that, that is a personal problem and that's a corporate problem. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately the dictum on wall street is that if you are in the growth market category, you have to grow your rate of growth mm-hmm. in terms of both sales, revenue, um, operating margin every single year. So it's not enough to just make more money. You have to make more money at a higher rate than you were making more money last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is a really absurd metric to place on companies because what's wrong with making, you know, if inflation is 3%, what's wrong with making 4% and growing 4% every single year? But that's just not the way that Wall Street rewards companies that are listed, that are publicly traded. Um, And then that 
that expectation flows down to the smallest person in the company because it's, you know, grow more than last year, grow more than last year. Um, which causes all sorts of problems, which isn't really what I want to dive into right sure, now. Sure. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, you know, the weight loss goal. So I remember, you know, when I was in college, I was um, early in college, I especially junior year, I was um, definitely overweight, like feeling, you know, eh, I want to, I want to really like start, you know, making some real progress towards this. So I really, really did. And then, you know, partway through that goal, I realized, okay, this is morphing into some other much more rewarding goals. Mm. And then I remember getting back to school that year and having like, you know, what well, pretty cute girl who was one of our friends be like oh man dave you look great and i was like oh cool and i had this like little tiny endorphin boost Mm -hmm. and then that was it (laughs) and then i thought to myself so this was the whole reason for the goal like this this little vain pat myself on the back look in the mirror hey hey look at you that's a lot of work for not a ton of reward very, very sure. superficial reward. Um, you know, thankfully that morphed into like exercise and, and how good it felt to eat well and how eating well and sleeping well and exercising led to academic performance and all this other stuff. But I didn't make that goal back in January of whatever year that was for the right reasons. Interesting. So it worked out for you even though, even though uh, everything about it in hindsight was just a little bit off basically. Right. Looking good <laughs> was a happy byproduct, but man, it would have been so shallow and hollow if that had been the only benefit to a summer's worth of work. Absolutely. Well, any investment in of your time, your energy, your money, whatever you do as an individual, if you only get one thing out of it, if you don't get like a compound rate out of it, you got to question whether or not it's a good idea. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just going to weight loss to look skinnier, like good for you. It's a great goal. I'm not going to say anything about it. But if you don't recognize the fact that like, oh, my life is easier. I am healthier. I will live probably a longer, healthier life because of this. If you, if that doesn't factor into your head, it's like, oh, but you're missing some of the benefits you're getting out of this, you know, which yeah. I think is interesting because you, you know, we were talking about a little bit about this episode before we hit record and we were talking about liminal events, which is a funny academic word, but it's such a poignant word for this conversation because a a liminal, okay. So a liminal event is kind of like a a rite of passage traditionally, Mm -hmm. right? Where I think, and I think liminal comes from the, comes from Latin and it basically means threshold. I think limen, L-I-M-E-N. Don't quote me on that. Um, Oh, am I right? You are. (laughs) All right. Um, It means threshold. So like, when you're walking through a door, at what point do you leave your bedroom and enter the living room? Is kind of the question of liminality. You know, you're kind of between two places. Like one foot, your right foot is still in your bedroom and your left foot is in the living room. You know, which room are you in? Mm-hmm. The answer is, well, neither really. And so it's kind of what we see traditionally, like the rite of passage where there's the young adult, or sorry, the young person who needs to become a member of the adult society. And so they go through a rite of passage, whatever that is for whatever culture. And during that rite of passage, they're going through this transformation um, where they're, where socially speaking, they're nowhere. They're not a child anymore. They're not an adult either. They're just going through this process. College is a perfect example of that in our, you know, 
modern middle to upper middle class Western society. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the four years you go discover yourself, find out your passions in life and a couple of other things. Yeah. And you go away. You go away from the society that you were born into to this new place. Right. And most importantly, hopefully you don't stay in college. <laughs> you, <laughs> you graduate yeah. and leave, you know, ideally. Well, well, yeah, it, you, you know, like the, I love the movie Van Wilder when he's there for seven and a half years, but the, that movie ends, spoiler alert, with him leaving finally. And, you know, that's one of the interesting things about, about liminality and liminal events is that they can't sustain, you know, they they mm-hmm. are by definition, these transitory periods and you can't exist in a transitory period. Can you, you know, college is a, a lot of fun. Can you imagine just doing that forever? No, <laughs> of course not. God. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. Which, so I never made this connection until you you brought it up and I was thinking about it, but liminal being the threshold between two things. I never thought about this, but the brain is typically broken down into the fact that we have a consciousness and an unconscious nature or a subconscious nature. And the threshold between those two is called a liminal threshold, right? So I never understood that subliminal messaging what that meant <laughs> subliminal messaging below the threshold of cognition basically i thought that was a nice little touch of etymology for the day <laughs> i i love etymology but don't tell anyone i said that <laughs> <laughs> not a statement i would make on a first date let's just say that or on a podcast yeah of course not oops <laughs> so so Liminality is is really interesting, and it's why I continue, even though the prevailing wisdom of the day is that, you know, no, we need to find a different way to make New Year's resolutions. They've always worked for me because New Year's, to me, is a liminal event. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking this, you know, New Year's, we're recording this on January 2nd, so New Year's Day was yesterday. New Year's Eve was the day before. Math. Um, and New Year's Eve... I just, all of a sudden, things were just sort of different. You know, I felt myself, all December, I was trying to think, oh, what are my New Year's resolutions going to be? And December's usually very busy and, you know, just had a lot on my mind and I couldn't really think clearly. And New Year's Eve, and because it's COVID, so I didn't really do anything. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, which is its own, you know, the New Year's parties of, of uh, 2019, you know, that been been hello <laughs> um, <laughs> what's what's the word <laughs> anyway um <laughs> this is the euro english concept 2019 and below um, <laughs> i love it you know you're at these parties and it's this other liminal event but it's it's this like you're taking yourself out of your normal day-to-day and you're putting yourself in a totally different world where you don't really know where you are it's just sort of a pause it's like it's like an alternate reality in a way mm-hmm. and all of a sudden i just you know felt very very reflective and i started thinking about what i had done in 2020 and what i accomplished and what i didn't accomplish and what i didn't get accomplished enough of and you know the things that held me back and the things that really pushed me forward and then that sort of allowed me to formulate what i want to do for 2021 um and it it 
brings a different perspective on things. And I, and I think that's really one of the highlights of liminal events is that you are, you remove yourself from the day-to-day life. You remove yourself from your, um, you know, whatever your, your rat race where it's Mm -hmm. very hard to, to find a different perspective. You know, you just get so ingrained with the, you know, the rote activities of your day to day that it's really hard for you to see outside your box, no matter how, how creative a thinker you might be. And Mm -hmm. so these liminal events are so necessary because you can kind of step outside of yourself and have this out of body experience and and really view your life in a different lens. That's how it's always worked for me. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And, and okay. I know I'm splitting hairs here going back to my earlier etymology comment, but Mm -hmm. It sounds a little bit like you're more describing a liminoid event. And I know, I'm sorry, listeners. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So so really quick, a liminal event is, it it resolves a personal crisis. That's That's a key part of a liminal event. Like there is, it has to happen, right? You can't not go through a rite of passage unless you succumb to sickness or death before you hit the age of 16, right? Um or whatever age you come to be an adult. And a, a liminoid event is something you get to choose to do. It's, um, um, that's, what's the point? Um, a it, festival. Yeah. Like a, yeah, sure. A rock show, a liminoid event, right? You go there and the rules of reality feel a little bit different, right? Like things are just different. Kind of like a new year's Eve party. Everyone is in that same revelry and there's it, it's, it transitions into the state of play rather than work. And I'm not going to get too deep into the, some of the um, scholar scholars I've read about liminoid events, but they kind of indicate that part of what's going on here is that in a post-industrial world, we have a clear delineation between work and play, which apparently is something kind of new to humanity. I don't know. That's what smart people tell me. And that, because of this, we have fewer and fewer liminal events. Like we don't have as many rites of passage um, for you to enter into communal society. We have more events for you to enjoy individual experiences, i.e., liminoid events, rock shows. You know, like going to a rock show could be a coming of age story in the right film. You know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it, it usually isn't, right? <laughs> right? You know, how many shows have you been to where you're like, yeah, this isn't life-changing literally but when i'm here i can have had one right right but when you're there when you're at that show you can play you can play as a different person um you can play a role let's say um like think masquerade where like everyone is everyone decides to cover their face it's a liminoid event it's a masquerade ball we decide to hide our identities in order to have a party of a different nature, to be more free, to be more open with each other, you know, in a sense. And that's kind of, and again, splitting hairs here entirely, but there is a pretty significant difference, I think. There, there is. And, and I, you know, liminality is something that if you're into anthropology at all, you should definitely dive into. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you start to look at, at Victor Turner and I forget who his predecessor was, but trying to, to assign labels and trying to assign systems to, to, you know, human constructs is always going to run into problems. So there's, (laughs) you know, there's some things that people have come out and said, Oh, you know, Turner was wrong about this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But 
the concepts are still really, really incredibly interesting to, to think about. Um, so whether it's a liminal or a limnoid event, I mean, liminal is, is tends to be cyclical, right? So that's why I was thinking of New Year's as a, as a liminal event. But mm-hmm. but I also spent it by myself. It's not really a cult. It, it is a cultural thing, and it's not a cultural thing at the same time. So Sure, yeah. You know. And this year seems really... to be an exception on all years anyways. Well, right. I was thinking earlier, you know, is is 2020 a liminal event for all of humanity? <laughs> you know, that's a Maybe. great that's a great question because I would say yes. I mean, besides the Spanish influenza of 1918, 1919, and the world wars that we experienced, there's it's really hard to find a historical event that literally affected everyone on the planet at the same general time. It's very rare. Like even the bubonic plague wouldn't classify as a an event of that scale, you know. And right. that and that wiped out a third of Europe, at least the population, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that didn't even qualify. But this experience very much is. I mean, everyone. I would say anyone who's alive and forming memories, you know, they're not a year old, right? Mm-hmm. Will remember this year to a degree. Will remember what their life was like during this year. Just kind of like, I mean, as Americans. I remember exactly where I were, where <laughs> I remember exactly where I was when I learned about 9-11. Like when I was yeah. told this is what's mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. And, yep. and it's going to be the same with this year in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. So is this a liminal year? Well, because that's also, so again, nerddom coming up here. I was like a liminal event. It must just be like a single moment. And then I looked into it and people are like, well, no. And the example that they put in places, um, if you become a, a nun or a monk, you're basically for the entirety of your life, denying yourself a lot of things, namely marriage and other, um, enjoyments of the, the fun stuff, right? The enjoyments of stuff. the flesh as some people might say. And that's, <laughs> that's a choice to make for your entire life to be like, I will, I will not do this. And so that it, in that way, it's described as a liminal event, even though it in- encompasses your entire life. Mm-hmm. So, so it doesn't have to be like a moment, you know, it's not like that. What happens between in that second, when the second hand goes from 59 seconds to zero seconds of the next year, it's not like that always. Yeah. It, it's not. And, and one of the, one of the big indicators of these events is this idea that, that whatever construct, social construct that exists within that event is unsustainable. Right. And if it were to be sustained, there would be, I forget that it's some normative socio, some, what is some, some anthropological uh, phrase. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, we, we all are kind of sitting at home and, and, you know, we've adapted some ways, not adapted in others, but we're all kind of looking forward to not things returning to normal. I think that's, you know, this is going to have significant impacts like any good liminal event. You know, think of marriage, you know, you you go through the liminal event and you wake up the next day or you wake up the next day, you come out the other side and you're married. You know, it's a, it's a significant change in the way that you live your life. But the event itself is not sustainable. And in marriage, it's the honeymoon. And in COVID, it's this year. But, you know, if if we're we're all sort of operating under the assumption that we'll be able to go out and see people again. We'll be able to go to restaurants again. We'll be able to have parties again. If that were to completely go away, we would significantly shift how we're living our day to day. You know, we're, we're sort of sitting at home twiddling our thumbs, 
doing puzzles and TikTok videos because we think this is going to end. We know this is going to end. Right. Right. And then now we're, and then to layer onto that, we're in this other, like under that heading, another liminal event where the vaccine is available. Kind of, sort of, maybe like, okay, my wife has been vaccinated. Some of my family yeah, members yeah. in this area are vaccinated because they're in the mm-hmm. hospital systems. I haven't. Who knows when I'm going to get vaccinated? I still don't know. So we're still in this, we're in this period where people are getting vaccinated. We are overcoming this virus that causes a pretty terrible disease, mm-hmm. but we're not done yet either. You know, we're between two places. Yeah. So how do you make a goal when you are inside of a liminal event? Because that's what we're talking about, really. Yeah. Well, I I kind of think that if you looked at the number of New Year's resolutions that were made this year, and there's no way to do that because you'd have to get in everybody's head, but I think that number would be more. And I think the stick to itness of those resolutions is going to be a much higher percentage this year because of this extended liminal event that everybody in the world has had to go through, there's been a lot of alone time and a lot of downtime this year. There's been a lot of time to reflect on your life to date and where you want your life to go. And I think we're going to see a ton of people make changes to their lives because of this, because they've had that outside of, of reality time to really look at themselves in the mirror, really look at their lives, really look at their goals and their wants and desires and whatever. And there's going to be some amazing things that come out of it. You know, liminal events are by necessity stressful or Mm -hmm. by definition stressful. Um, And I don't mean stressful and, you know, like, Oh, I have something to do. I got to do it. But, but stressful in the fact that you're, you're, just taxing your mind and your body in ways that you never have before. But in doing so, you really open up your mind to think about things in a different light or to see things in a different light. Mm-hmm. So New Year's Eve might have been just a regular party day and people who made New Year's resolutions just did because that's sort of what you do. But I think it's going to be different this year. Um, and I think that Anybody can look back on their lives and think of a Libnoid event. So, summer camp, concert, going to, uh, well, not really going to college, um, moving to a different city, um, moving to a different country. Some sort of shocking shift in, in the way that you live your life and, and coming back from that profoundly changed from that experience and profoundly changing the way that you're doing one or more things in your life. I think we all have that experience unless you've been exactly the same since you were conscious. In which case I don't believe that you are real because there's no way. (laughs) So this is, I, I, I really think that the COVID pandemic while a a terrible thing is going to beget so much good in terms of our each individual personal goals, lifestyles, um, and humanity as a whole. But it, it really 
drives home the point that you made earlier, Ryan, that liminal events don't really exist as part of cultures anymore because we have these very loosely defined cultures. You know, religion and, uh, you know, um, close-knit communities exist in pockets here and there, but it's really this this um, personal freedom that's that's more important. So how do we generate liminal and limnoid events in our society? How do we generate more of them so that we can have these transformative experiences that I really think we need? <laughs> 